0: Throughout our morning services, we have been focusing on, I guess, personal revival. What are the kingdom qualities? What are the attributes? What are the characteristics for personal revival to stir in our hearts and in our lives? And today I'm going to speak on my confident heart, the joy of trusting God. And we're going to examine Psalm 27. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 27. I'll let you in on a little secret. It's my favorite portion of Scripture. Amen and amen. So I'm reading the NIV. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, and seek him, and gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in this straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take your heart. Wait for the Lord. I think that's a great place to give God a shout of praise. Amen. God is faithful. And David here is bursting with confidence and conviction in who God is in his own life. It's unclear when this psalm was likely written in David's life, but I believe he has three heart postures and positions throughout this psalm that I would like us to receive today. I would like us to adopt these three heart postures. I'm convinced verses 1 to 6 reflect a confident heart, a heart that is confident in God and who God is. No confidence is communicated in David's own capacity, in his own ability, in his own strength, in his own intellect. It's all anchored and tethered to who God is. Verses 7 to 12, he moves from having a confident heart to having a prayerful heart. You see a number of prayers poured out to God in love, in desperation, in need but also in recognition that the God who had been faithful in David's past was the same God who would be faithful right there in that moment that he was journeying through. And finally, the last two verses, probably verse 13 is the one we all know really well, but the last two verses capture a heart that has gone from being a prayerful heart to a heart that testifies, a testifying heart for God. And so that's my heart, that's my desire for us today, is that we would have confident hearts, We would have prayerful hearts and we would have testifying hearts for who God is. And so my first point is, well, I guess the question must emerge is, what is David confident in? He seems to unpack a number of features about God. Firstly, David's first expression is that God is light. Light always exposes darkness. Jesus, the Word of, Clair, the word of God declares in John 8:12, is the light of the world. You and I were once children of darkness. Ephesians 5 tells us, but now we walk as children of the glorious light of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 1, verse 3, it is the first quality that emerges in creation. Let there be light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he governs and rules your life. But the light tells us that David is living in favor with God, and he declares that he is living in right relationship with God. Therefore, he has nothing to fear. And I am utterly convinced today in this place, the spirit of fear needs to be broken off people's lives in the name of Jesus Christ, whether that's fear at work, fear at home, fear when you're out witnessing for Jesus, whatever it is, a spirit of intimidation, a spirit of anxiousness, and care and worry about the things of this world, broken in the name of Jesus Christ, because my Bible tells me, perfect love casts out all fear. You have nothing to fear from man, you have nothing to fear from this world as you walk as a child of the light, carrying the good news of Jesus Christ, standing on your authority as a child of the Most High God. Remember, there's no arrogance, it's confidence, not in who you are, but in who God is. Who God is in your life. I'm not going to sing, but Maverick City, fear is not my future. You are. Christ is your past, your present, and your future. The second quality he unpacks is his salvation. David knows exclusively that because he has no doubt, that the Lord is his light, his salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Deliverance has reached his own heart and his own mind, but he is also acutely aware that God possesses the power and the potential to deliver him from every single one of his enemies. And that same invitation is open to you. God wants you to navigate your way through every temptation, every test, every trial, every struggle, every stronghold, every sin, everything that is stopping you from being who you were called to be in Christ, God wants to deal with that today in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know the enemy will always try and creep in. Amen? The enemy will always try and creep in. No weapon formed against you will prosper. The Bible doesn't say that the weapons won't be formed. It says that they do not prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, he will condemn because that is the heritage of the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in the freedom that Jesus paid the highest price for. Do not be restrained or restricted by the opinion of man or by the culture and the climate of the world out there. You are made for so much more than that. Be bold, be brave, for the Lord your God is with you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. That is the plan of God for your life. And you see it right the way through Scripture. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joshua. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. I am with you. These are not just pleasantries and platitudes that God is writing in his word. These reflect his heart, his nature, his character towards you. He knows you by name. He's called you. He's commissioned you for such a time as this. No retreating. No surrender. No recoiling from the challenges and the chaos and the crisis of this world. Step forward with bravery and boldness and a confidence of who you are in Christ. And you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And because... Because he's walking as a child of light, because he's understood the light and he understands his salvation, he can declare with confidence, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Wow. There's no fear inside of him now. The more fear that you have, the less likelihood you will be able to see God being the stronghold of your life. You banish that fear and you will see clearly the Lord is the stronghold of your life. So I want you to take a moment right now to consider in your own life what your own life would look like free of every care, every worry, every fear, every intimidation in any environment that you abide in. Those moments at Christmas where you might have a family member that you don't get on with and you have to sit next to them at their side of the table. That colleague at work that you know doesn't like you the people that you witness to, that roll their eyes and speak badly of you as you leave. What is intimidating you today? What has taken your joy? What has stolen what God has ordained and orchestrated for you? Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Because God wants you to live free. And that's not some far-flung, fleeting idea or thought that I have. He wants you to live free. But I'm convinced for some of us here, we once again need to be still and know that I am God. The psalmist declares that in Psalm 46.10, but he starts that psalm by saying, the Lord is my refuge. And so if you want the peace that surpasses all understanding today for the areas of your life that need attention, you have to surrender your right for control and your right to understand. Those are self-appointed on your part. You are not in control of the outcome. God and God alone is. He rules, He reigns, and He upholds your entire world in the palm of His hand. You need only be still and know that I am God. But also we need to consider that life happens, right? We go through things. Things that we don't even invite or invoke in our lives happen. But what God is interested in is not so much what happens to us, but our response to what happens to us. Why? Because the Word of God declares, amen, that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony, and God and God alone makes all things work together for good for those who know Him and love Him and those who are called according to His purposes. Even though you might be going through trauma and trials today, It's going to produce a testimony, but ultimately it's going to mature you in your walk with God. Can you have a confident heart today in the house of the Lord? So we must align ourselves with God's plan, not the plan of man that is morally bankrupt, decaying, void of any power. I see so much in the Western world, in particular, in the church in the name of Jesus. And it's mostly powerless because the power of the Holy Spirit does not reside in the ideology, in the thinking, in the execution of a particular thing. Get close to God. Walk right with God. Tap into the power of the Holy Spirit that already resides in your life and you will see the greatness that God has for you. But then David takes his point further and he declares, he pours out to God his deepest desire, his deepest desire beyond any doubt, he says very, very clearly, all the days of my life I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord. No shopping list, no demands, no hierarchy of expectation, just one desire, one thing, a single solitary goal that overarches everything in his life. My question for you today, is that a prayer that you could pray? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever reached that point and place in your own heart with God where, honestly speaking, nothing else matters? You may be going through the valley of the shadow of death. You may be going from glory to glory. And there may be a lot of stuff in the middle. But the overarching heart objective of your heart is this one thing not first thing, one thing there's nothing he wants more nothing because David is in right relationship with God he is in intimacy with the Father so much that it doesn't matter the chaos and the confusion of what he's already going through and navigating, he's like yeah I know you're faithful, I know you're good I know I can trust in your word, you've never failed me you've never let me down You've got me to this point and place, and yet I will still seek you. I still want you. I know that there's more. Show me, teach me, give me more. And he's not referring to any specific house or temple or anything like that. It's for him to have intimacy in his walk with God. So what does it mean to dwell? Well, the dictionary defines dwelling as to live or to stay as a permanent resident, to reside or to live somewhere in a given condition or state. And I don't know about you, but I want to get to that level of intimacy in my walk with God. Other pursuits, as noble and as godly as I'm sure we all have, possess the capacity and the capability of leading us all astray. Ultimately, even those things are futile and will fail us. What is more important, what is more precious to each and every one of us here in this room Watching online than having intimacy with the Father. And David wants to dwell there. He doesn't want an encounter weekend or a quick experience on a Sunday. He wants to dwell there. He wants to set up shop, build his home, his whole heart, his life, everything that pertains to his life, orientated, centered around the presence of God. Because he knows in his presence there is fullness of joy. So my second point is moving now into a prayerful heart, verses 7 to 12. You can see at the end of verse 6, David starts to shift his effort and his enthusiasm as he transcends into verse 7. As a result of what he declares in verse 6, he begins to pray to the very God that he's just declared he desires to be with. Faith in action. His heart accurately reflects his actions. And this shift is both significant and seismic because his response is immediate. And I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life as a Christian where God calls me to something or I desire something, but my actions, there's a bit of a lag between my actions catching up with what my heart ultimately desires. Can anyone witness to that? Yeah. David's immediate, straight out with it. Praying, seeking the very heart and face of the one whom he desires. No delay, no detours, no distractions, no discussions or debates. He instantly prays for greater intimacy with God. Now David didn't have social media, he didn't have the internet, he didn't have these things that we have that can distract us and frankly destroy us from moving forward in our plan and purpose. But there's no denying what David desires So even within verses 7 to 11, there are four subsections for us to quickly look at. David wants acceptance. You see that very clearly. We live in a culture, a climate, where everyone is craving for attention and acceptance. You just need to turn on your social media feeds, and you can see that. But those desires for attention and affection are camouflage, if you like, for what are deep, inadequacies, fear of rejection, abandonment, not being accepted or approved for who they are, that we need to play up to someone, anonymous people online, to receive attention and affection. Because we all want acceptance. That's a natural human need. But the opposite of acceptance is rejection. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling rejected by this God that I'm talking about. Maybe you're feeling rejected by your family or your work colleagues, your friends, because you've stood in the gap. You've stood up being a Christian in your workplace. Can I tell you right now, you are always welcome in the presence of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you are willing, he is able to welcome you each and every moment of your life. He will never reject you. The world may reject you. Even your mother and father may forsake you. But God will never reject you. He loves you. He approves you. He accepts you. He affirms you right where you are. You are a child of God, wholly approved by the Lord. And the word of God declares in Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What about Deuteronomy 31.8? The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And yet in David's own life, he is aware of the power of rejection. He's never experienced it himself, but he is aware of its power. And he prays a prayer that says, God, continue to speak to me. Continue to minister to me. Continue to move my heart so that I can dwell in your presence. God will never abandon you. And David has discovered the reality of God's love towards him. And he's reminding him, and by extension us, of that truth. The second sub-point here is that David is never slow and he's never shy in sharing his needs with God. It's almost literally like a child talking to his father. If you're a parent in this place, you will understand what I'm talking about. When your children come to you for pocket money, for Krispy Kreme donuts, for a can of Coke to stay out late with their friends. Whatever it is, they come in hope and in expectation, and there is no pleasantries and politeness. It's, this is my need. And they know the father or the mother will meet that need. And that's what David's like. Straight out with his needs. no, Not being slow, being clear, being comprehensive, being decisive about what he needs. And I think God values that. In a day and an age where intellect is elevated ahead of intimacy, and we think cleverness is superior to a heart right with God. I think God values being pretty blunt and brash, frankly. I wonder when you were last that way with God. Is it only in the moments of our lives where there's devastation or death, where there's turmoil and confusion, Or do we press into his presence even in more mundane moments, mediocre times that we navigate in our lives? Because David's crying out here from the deepest recesses of his heart, out of anguish, out of despair and desperation, to a God who he knows has been faithful. And he's longing and he's lingering to hear from God. He's attentive. He's alert to everything. In our lives, do you know that God is awake in every moment of every day? He's not like us, He doesn't need to sleep, He doesn't need to slumber. He is awake and alert. You can speak to God, you have connection with God at any moment of every single day of your life. And I want to encourage you be bold and brave in asking God your need. Do not let the circumstances of seasons of your life stop you from reaching out to the one true and living God who can do supernaturally, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can possibly ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. We serve a good God. We serve a God who is not a withholder. We serve a God who is faithful to a thousand generations. We serve a God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can possibly ask or imagine. Every single need is met in Jesus Christ. And I think some of us, we need to lose our inhibitions, our insecurities, that curtail and stop us from reaching out to God and declaring our need. Proverbs 15, verse 29 declares, the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. What about 1 John 5, 14 and 15? This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we have asked for. God is not like man that he should lie. When he sends his word out, it never returns void in your life. Lay hold of the authority. Lay hold of the word of God over your life. Declare it. I don't want to say name it and claim it, but proclaim the word of God over your life. And watch God move in power in Jesus' name. Isaiah 55, in your Bible, the whole of that chapter probably says an invitation to the thirsty. But verse 6 declares, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. God is the best friend you or I could ever have. We can pour out our hearts to him knowing that he longs to listen and to guide us He wants to restore and redeem everything in our lives so that we can be all that he created and called us to be. So even when you might be going through the valley of the shadow of death, you need fear, no evil, for he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you in the name of Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who see- seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There is yet more evidence of our God never rejecting us. He's faithful. He's perfect in all of his ways towards us. I would ask that you take a moment to think about your life. I believe thus, all of us here need to open the door of our heart to God afresh. And maybe you're here and you're worried about that rejection, that abandonment. You've decided and determined in your heart, God is not faithful. God will let me down. Can I encourage you? God will never abandon you. He will never reject you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you down. All you need to do is retreat from every spirit of rejection every spirit of abandonment, every lie of the enemy, every filthy spirit that has sought to infiltrate and impact how you see God, he is truly perfect. Point three in our subsection is David asked for direction. You see that a lot of the Psalms that David writes, he uses words or phrases like teach me your way, lead me in the path, show me the way, or show me your way, It's all singular term. David knows, by extension, that man has many plans. And we know the Word of God declares that many are the plans of man, but it's God's plan that will always prevail over our lives. But to declare a prayer that says, show me your way, it demands and dictates that our own way submits to God's way. You cannot have competition with God. It does not work out. You cannot be double-minded as a Christian, as a believer. The Word of God declares, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And so if God is going to show you a way, He's going to show you one clear path to take. And I believe in here, for many of us, He has given us and shown us a path, but we're struggling with the second step, which is obedience. Don't know about you, but it's difficult to pray to a God for direction if you've already decided what you want. We've all been there. I'm just saying what's in your mind. (laughs) But in terms of that direction, no matter how spiritually mature you are today, we're all vulnerable to losing our way on occasions. We drift. We don't read our Bible every day. single day. We have indifference in different aspects of our Christian walk. We're tempted to lean on our own understanding. We trust in our own intellect and information. But actually, don't trade your intimacy with God for information and intelligence and intellect that the world offers. There is nothing more powerful than this book and the presence of God in your life. Google, Google, Google is like a candle to the sun in comparison to this, yeah? Let's have perspective in our direction with God because the reality is, without God, every single one of us here would be utterly lost. No matter how bright you are, how ambitious, how entrepreneurial, we would all be lost. Do not think you are the exception, that you could make it, that you could get by without God. Psalm 62, 5 and 8 tells us, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge do you know the moment you ask God for direction, a spirit of meekness and humility is required to hear definitively what he wants to say because we are his children and he is our father, and if you're a parent in here, and you've ever told your children, clean your room, they don't hear that, dinner's ready they make their way downstairs. And we can be like that as Christians, can't we? Selective hearing. We decide what we think God wants to give us, and we abandon the rest. It's not what we're called to do. Pour out your heart to God. Your obedience will follow. Show me the path. Lead me in the way. David knows, even in his level of intimacy with God, that he is susceptible to wondering, how much more are we? And I want to suggest to you that there's probably a direct correlation and connection between your level of intimacy with God and your level of obedience to God. And David finishes that portion of scripture there with a, he slips it in, it's almost like an addendum, it's not really, but he slips in a really quick prayer at the end of that portion, seven to 12. A prayer of divine protection. He's wise. He's seasoned. He's, right, he's walking rightly with God. And I think in the climate that we live in today as Christians, where the truth is relative, subjective, ever-changing, I think we need to pray divine, divine prayers of protection for our own lives. Amen? We have the privilege, the joy, of being able to gather together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There are people in other nations of the world that would do anything just to be the way we are today. And so we need to pray divine protection over our lives, over the ministry, over the church of Jesus Christ, over the word of God, over our children. And then our third and final point is David now transitions out of a prayerful heart to a heart that testifies. Amen? In spite of everything that David has gone through, he's retained his confidence in God. Verse 13, I remain confident. He's saying, in spite of everything I've gone through, as a result of everything that I've been tested, the magnifying glass of my life from God over my life, I've been found faithful. Why? God has been faithful to me. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. What a prayer. What a declaration. He has seen God's faithfulness up to that point, And he is supremely confident that the same God that got him to that point will lead him forward and he will see the fullness of God's goodness over his life. Verse 13 is probably the verse that we all know well, but I actually believe in my own heart, in my own theology, that verse 14 is the real promise. Wait. Let your heart take courage or be strong, depending on your translation. Yes, wait on the Lord. It's not something we do well as Christians, do we? Just waiting no agenda, just waiting to see the goodness of God, being prepared to wait on God. It is not a a passive, I'll sit down in the corner, fold my arms, check the football scores, and wait on God to turn up and do what he is meant to do, or what I've instructed him to do. It is an intentional, active, participatory engagement with the God who rules and reigns. It says, I want to build intimacy. I want to get closer to you. And I'm not sitting around waiting for my breakthrough. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek your face while I get my breakthrough. It's intentional. It's proactive. It's not reactive. He is certain that he will enjoy and experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. Is that not praiseworthy? He has almost supernatural confidence that the same God who has continually and consistently been with him, answered every prayer, got him out of every trouble and trial, is the same God who will show his goodness to him. Not because David has necessarily done anything to deserve it, but simply because he's a child of God and he's walking rightly with that one true and living God. If God is going to bless you, God is going to bless you. Amen? Amen. We have very little say about when or how God does that. He's placing his hope in a God that has already demonstrated his dedication and devotion to him. He's placed his trust where his trust has ultimately been earned. He's been a joyful recipient of all of God's goodness, and he knows that God will remain faithful to him. He's secure. He's steadfast in that truth. Psalm 66, the last two verses, 19 and 20, declare as follows. God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. God sees every tear. God knows every test, every trauma, and every trial of your life. And I am convinced if you can have a confident heart in who God is and your heart is prepared to be prayerful, to pray to the one true and living God, you will then have a testifying heart. And you too will be able to stand up and say, surely I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so as I draw our time to a close this afternoon, I want to take us back to the start of that psalm. Is God truly the light of your life? Is your salvation secure in Christ? If so, you have nothing and no one to fear. Does your heart, does your life, do the decisions that you take, does your mind all accurately reflect David's one thing I desire? Do not let the presence of God be something that you enjoy and experience on a Sunday or in your cell group. You've got to let His presence fill and flood every single part of your life, walking with dedication and determination with Him. A moment of vulnerability. I've experienced the moments that David Dick talks about here. It's incredible. Unbridled joy. There is nothing this world can offer you that will ever even reach, attain, certainly never surpass the peerless presence of the one true and living God. But you know, even in my own life, they're inconsistent and infrequent. Life happens, demands on time, expectations of people, all seek in various ways to reduce our time with God. But I want to walk in right relationship with God. I want to walk in right relationship with humanity. I want that to be my desire, the one thing above everything else, that I dwell, I dwell in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God. This is the creator of heaven and earth, the God who flung stars into space, who knows each and every one of us by name, knows the number of hairs on our head, reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, formed and fashioned into his image and likeness. And if you read Genesis, the first six days, and uh, you read it, it says, and the Lord saw it and it was good. Get to the last day. It says, very good. And God created us. He looked out and he said it was very good. There's something special in that, that you're precious and priceless to God. But you have to determine in your heart today that my heart will be confident, not in myself, not in someone else, but in who God is, the sum of my experience. I can be confident in that reality. And then you will have a prayerful heart and a testifying heart. So if anything I've said today resonates with you, I want us to respond by standing in the presence of the Lord. If there's anything that I've said You don't need to stand if it's not applicable to you. And maybe right where you are, just before the worship team, just before the worship team come up, you could take a moment to bow your head and ask yourself some questions. What is my heart confident in Is it everything that you've attained and achieved professionally? Truly, is your confidence in God? Is your prayer life really strong and robust at the delta points of your Christian walk when everything is glorious and victorious? You can pray any prayer or in the moments of deep sadness and sorrow. But a lot of our life is lived in the middle. And God is there too. And I believe for some of us here, we truly need to give God our heart afresh. We need to let go of the things that have stolen our joy because it's a privilege and an honor to know Jesus. And it's an absolute joy to trust in Him. We walk by faith not by sight.